Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Hey, everyone from KQED Public Radio. This is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. And today on The Breakdown, we have the head honcho in the state assembly here. Speaker Anthony Rendon has led the lower legislative house since 2016, but never... Never during a pandemic and a recall election, I think it's safe to say. (laughs) And never when the state has a staggering $76 billion budget surplus. You heard that right. We'll ask Rendon, a known music aficionado, if Mo Money really does equal Mo problems in Sacramento. But first... um, I'm guessing no. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a. I think it's hard either way. You either have to tell you all your friends no, or just some of your friends no. Yeah. Um, so the the governor has been on his uh, rainy Robin, money the Robin tour. Hood tour. Yeah. yeah, this week, um, talking, rolling out kind of uh, bit by bit his proposal to spend the surplus. Scott, we saw on Monday this huge proposal to send out another round of California specific. Uh, stimulus checks up to 600 bucks for a family and another 500 for folks with kids. This is anyone making uh, less than $75,000 in a household. And um, the governor says this could reach up to two thirds of Californians, which is really staggering, which also means that two thirds of Californians are living on that amount of money, which is a challenge in good times. And right? it's not just individuals, it's households yeah. uh, earning up to $75,000. Go, Yeah, you know, this is, it's funny because, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, Gavin Newsom, when Jerry Brown left office, was handed California on a golden platter, you know, and then the pandemic hit and you know, we, there was a projected $54 billion. This, gold. this is like platinum. <laughs> well, man, I mean, I think, and now, I mean, remember there was a, f- a projected $54 billion deficit, uh, right. which turned out to be a little overstated, but this is just extraordinary. And of course, the timing could not be better for the governor because he is facing a recall election. It's interesting to me, and we'll ask the speaker about this, just how they were able to keep this number secret. Because I don't think this number blew everybody away. $76 billion. I mean, that is bigger than the entire state budget of all but three states in the country. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, it's and it's obviously it's all good news for him. Uh, he's starting to get some pushback from Republicans who are saying, hey, like Kevin Faulkner saying, hey, we should just cut taxes. Don't just send him a check. Let's make some real sort of permanent long term changes here because we obviously don't need all this revenue. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. um 
obviously great timing for the governor and we've seen i mean i'll just tick through and we'll get into these um with the speaker in a little bit but in addition to these rebates to taxpayers he's talking about 12 billion dollars on housing and homeless issues uh universal transitional kindergarten for all four-year-olds that's a limited pool right now who can get that and new programs for low-income students um and of course uh you know he's some some drought related uh relief as well and then just today i think a billion and a half for small business this grant so really trying to sprinkle this around right to to all of the people who are hurting after this past year well and of course another 26 27 billion dollars will be coming or that's part of the 100 billion but you know about a quarter of it is coming from the federal government Mitt Romney tweeted out this week this is why Republicans opposed giving California so much money in other states because they didn't really need it I think you could you know you could make that argument if you're a Republican certainly uh, but uh, the governor's going to put it to good use it's interesting you know this is you know as they used to say a billion here and a billion there you're pretty soon you're talking real money but even like when you talk about creating thousands of new uh, units of housing for homeless people. You got to remember, there's like 160,000 people in California who don't have homes. And while this is certainly going to be sort of a down payment mm-hmm. to addressing the problem, even something of this magnitude, which is enormous. I mean, just that alone is bigger than the state budget of a lot of right. states. It's, uh, it's you know, we will see maybe some indication, some impact from that, but it's not going to solve these problems. No, I mean, it will be, I think, worth watching how combined with the federal proposals that Biden has put forward, including, you know, some of those tax rebates or payments really to families, that 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 could make some impact. But you're right. I mean, some of these problems are so huge. And we, of course, don't know what things are going to look like a year or two down the road. What we also don't know is whether Newsom will be running the state then. But Scott, he did get some good news in the form of a UC Berkeley poll this week. Uh, before we break, tell us tell us what we saw in that poll. Yeah, really, uh, given all the things that have happened since January, the one thing that hasn't changed is the amount of support for the recall. In this Berkeley IGS poll, it was uh, 36% in January. It's 36% now. What we did see is opposition to the recall ticking up a little bit. Uh, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I think it was from 45 to 49%, 49% percent now oppose the recall the rest uh, undecided so uh, that's a long way from 36 to 50 percent plus one and then the republicans like sort of tepid interest in the republicans uh the top two contenders uh for that second part of the ballot were faulkner and john cox each getting 22 percent and then doug Osi, the former congressman at 14. caitlin jenner i think a lot of people were curious to see how the celebrity would fare in that poll and she it's interesting She had the smallest percentage of people saying they had no opinion of her Mm. and the highest percentage of people saying they wouldn't vote for her. So she was at, I think, 6%. So not... not, uh, Well, and she kind of bumbled some of her uh, rollout in the past week. And, you know, Cox is out there with the bear and and Faulkner did roll out a pretty um, massive middle class tax cut proposal. So some substantive policy, but I feel like a lot of what we've heard from the opposition to Newsom, you know, in terms of these candidates has not been as substantive and certainly not some of those questions to Jenner. All right, we're going to take a short break now. When we return, we can keep talking about all this. We'll be joined by Assembly Speaker Anthony Rendon. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. 
I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast. And I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer, and we are joined by Anthony Rendon. He represents parts of Southeast Los Angeles County and is Speaker of the State Assembly. Speaker Rendon, welcome to the breakdown. Welcome back to the breakdown. Thanks. Good to be here. So we were just discussing this uh, really significant uh, surplus, um, and we've seen the governor roll out, uh, you know, various budget proposals, direct stimulus payments, more money for homelessness, um, knowing you're not going to negotiate with him on our radio show. But what are your broad thoughts about how Newsom is proposing to spend this money? Um, again, uh, broadly, and we, we do have a, a budget process our, our, on our side, uh, and then uh, we, we obviously negotiate with the governor and the, and the pro tem, but I do think his commitment to to early childhood education is something that obviously I noticed. I got into politics after about 20 years in early childhood education, so that's something that obviously meant a lot to me. The homelessness issue is something that is uh, it's a north-south problem, an urban-rural suburban problem. It's an east-west problem, uh, so that uh, seen his commitment there is is significant as well um so yeah i was very very happy with uh, some of the broad strokes uh, aspects of his budget do you worry at all uh this is of course good news for people who care about uh early childhood education and all that but you know i remember back in the when pete wilson was was governor and they uh were able to reduce class sizes to 20 no more than 20 students and then of course the budget eventually the money runs out or you know the revenues turned down and that went out the window i mean are, do you worry that you know you're kind of over promising in a way and then you know before too long some of these promises you have to renege on them yeah, I mean, I am worried, and, and I think it's important to point out that a lot of the money that we have is is one-time funds. Um, so I think spending money as somebody who ran, you know, upwards at times of you know 60, 70 early childhood education centers, um, focusing on infrastructure, uh, which is obviously a, a one-time cost. Um, focusing on those types of things is important. I was. Uh, 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 head of a early childhood education organization where on July 1st, 2010, because of budget cuts, I had to lay off 300 employees and tell another 800, 900 families they weren't going to have childcare uh, on Monday. So yeah, I mean, that's very real. Um, and, and we need to recognize again, that this is one-time funding and, um, you know, making sort of ongoing uh, uh, ongoing proposals could could lead to cuts in the future, and that's something we don't want to do. 
So on then something like, you know, expanding TK, how how are you thinking about that in terms of the ongoing versus one time thing? I mean, this is obviously could could really make a difference, as you know, in the lives of so many California kids who don't have the opportunity maybe to go to a private preschool. But it's not you know, that is not a one time proposal. Yeah, it's not. And that's, you know, that's something we're definitely going to have to vet. And again, as someone who comes from early childhood education, I had a blue ribbon commission on early childhood education about two years ago now, uh, two, three years ago now. Um, And the reason that whole uh, the reason I created that Blue Ribbon Commission was because there's so many very various opinions within ECE about you know what you know the question of what should be done. Um, so you know I think uh, the questions around TK. Uh, there are some folks who believe that th- those funds are better spent in you know earlier years, early Head Start, and those types mm. of things. Um, so you know having those types of proposals are are good, but they definitely need to be vetted. We have a, a chair uh, on our uh, Kevin McCarty on on our uh, the budget subcommittee that's going to look at that who, like me, is a career professional early childhood education. So I'm excited about having him dig in on some of the details. The uh, schools, of course, have been a huge issue. Uh, Some people feel a lot of parents, I think, signed some of those recall petitions because they weren't happy with uh, having their kids at home. And uh, it seemed like the governor was definitely criticized for not being more forceful with the teachers union and in getting the schools open more quickly. What's your what are your thoughts about that? Could the governor have done more to get the schools open more quickly? And and what about going forward? Should there be money in the state budget for distance learning or should kids just have to come back? Um, Well, with respect to the governor, look, I mean, I I closed down uh, the assembly on March. I believe it's March 18th of last year. Um, And I remember telling our members uh, in 2020, telling our members, you know, Hopefully we'll be back in a month. We weren't back in a month. We were back five months later, four months later. Um, we all, none of us have ever gone through a pandemic before. It was very difficult to kind of, uh, you know, balance concerns, the fears of teachers, uh, parents, uh, students, all of those things with, you know, a lot of different advice on, you know, from the CDC and other sources about, about what needed to be done. I think the governor did a good job um, under those conditions. That that being said, I mean, we need to make sure we're investing in, in schools uh, in general so students and teachers can can return safely next year. We need families need to feel confident that their children are going to be safe at school and our, our budget uh, investments are going to be part of making that happen. Um, we don't I mean, I listen to a lot of BBC News. I mean, what's happening in, in, in Europe right now versus where the numbers were a few months ago is a cautionary tale for us. Um, I think we need to be prepared for anything that could happen with respect to the pandemic. Do what I prefer that uh, students were in brick and mortar schools. Absolutely. Um, but there's a lot of wild cards involved here, and I think we need to be prepared for just about anything. So your budget chair, Assemblyman Phil Ting from San Francisco, has said that he does not want to uh, extend the distance learning um, sort of allowance for districts. This is at the heart of a lot of these debates, right, is this question over, like, how much control do you give to locals, and then what does that mean? Where do you stand on that? Do you think that schools should just be said, well, we're going to be back in session unless something, you know, remarkable happens? Yeah, well, that it's it's a good question, but the, unless something remarkable happens, is 
is the key there, right? And something remarkable happened last year with. But you guys can come back and do a trailer. But I mean, you could you could always go back. I think the question now is, do you sort of automatically grandfather in some of the allowances from this year, or do you kind of you know move forward as if we're back to normal and then deal with stuff as it comes up? Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with Phil that, you know, again, I, I think it's best when kids are in brick and mortar schools. And I I feel that way, A, from a learning perspective. I also feel that way as somebody who ran Head Starts, for example. Uh, I always feel like, you know, the, the, the medical needs, um, kids who don't have, kids who have vision problems, kids who in some instances have, uh, you know, mental health issues, you can track those you can uh, detect those at in a school where you can't necessarily do so via the internet so um i i tend to agree with phil and again we're moving in that direction but i think we need to make uh you know, we need to have uh we need to prepare for for any any inevitability as you pointed out the it took longer to get the assembly reopened but i think you said it was five months and people the members came back uh with precautions it here we are, you know, a year later, a lot of schools or at least you know, many are doing hybrid learning and there's a lot of frustration. Do you think that the uh, CTA, the Teachers Association, uh, exerted too much influence in this process? Should the governor have been more assertive? Well, I mean, CTA was certainly part of the conversation and teachers, you know, they, they did have real concerns. The governor uh, listened to them and, and you know, we, we all listened to them, but we listened you know, we all have constitu- We all have five hundred thousand constituents here in the assembly, and we we listened to them as well. They were they were part of the discussion. I don't know that they had an outsized voice. Yeah. Um, so we're seeing you know all of this sort of percolate during obviously this lead up to a recall, and I'm curious, what do you make of critis- criticism of like, oh, the governor just wants to send these rebate checks to well. I wouldn't say this, but some people think it's like buying votes or that, you know, this is all political. What's your response to that? Well, the the, the budget cycle happens when the budget cycle happens um, and we have more money than we've ever had before. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, he, he couldn't have given people money uh, before the budget cycle happened or before Joe Biden became president or before Congress passed, uh, you know, the, the stimulus plan. Um, so I think think those are, you know, uh, those, those assertions are cynical. I know you're sort of a student of history, among other things. And the last time California had such a huge surplus in the 70s, it led to this anti-tax crusade with uh, Prop 13. And, and it just upended the state budget. Some say it still undermines school funding today. Did you all talk about that? I mean, how mindful were you and the governor and the Department of Finance about not sitting on so much money because it could lead to some really uh, you know, egregious, probably from Democratic point of view, uh, ballot measure that would really force you to uh, maybe cut revenues or something. Yeah, I don't think we really did it from the standpoint of sort of being informed by by that, you know, by what happened uh, back then or the states in a different place. And you know, we have different different political ideology. I think we know Cal- Californians are hurting. I mean, you look at our homeless population, you look at our the our inequity gaps i mean there are a number of services uh that a number of places where we felt we could help uh californians by by spending money and they i think that was really what informed has informed our decisions up to this point all right well we got to talk about a little bit about this recall that is looming um we have you know kind of a repeat john cox although i guess the bear wasn't with him a, a couple of years ago you have kevin faulkner caitlin jenner lining up um 
I think broadly the case we hear often by the California GOP and these Republicans is that you know, Democrats own the state's problems, the issues you just laid out, the inequities, the homelessness. Um, and, and those are things that matter to people. Like, what's the case to not change course, given that Dems have been in charge for a while? Uh, the case for not changing course? Yeah. Uh, like, what's the case for Newsom at a time when all of these issues are just have only been exacerbated by the past year? Um, I, I think the, the case is comparing uh, Gavin Newsom to, to John Cox to compare Gavin Newsom to Kevin Faulkner. I think he is is uh, the would be the superior governor moving forward. Um, there have been a number, uh, you know, the the pandemic uh, is something that was exceptionally difficult, uh, very tough to navigate. Something that he he never uh, you know anticipated when he was sworn in out here on the Capitol. Uh, a couple of Januarys ago, I remember sitting out there and smelling smoke from wildfires. Uh, he's had wildfires. He's had, uh, you know, landslides, uh, a, a lot of calamities that are very difficult for anybody to navigate. Um, and, you know, as a state, um, you know, there again, there are problems, there are inequities. But uh, I think the, the governor overall has done a very good job of, uh, of, of steering the course. One of the things that has enabled uh, the governor to act quickly in this pandemic is emergency powers, which the legislature granted to him. Um, Some might say it's time for those powers to end. Uh, What do you think? Well, we've engaged since we got back uh, to Sacramento, I guess, uh, mid last year, we've engaged in, you know, our our traditional accountability and oversight measures. Um, We are when the state reopens on June 15th, um, you know, we, we anticipate that, that you know, a, a lot of that stuff will recede. Um, we, being the legislature uh, and the assembly and the legislature more generally, obviously, we think we have a role in governance. And uh, yeah, I mean, if the, if the emergency uh, goes away, it's time for the emergency powers to go away. And what's the criteria for that? I mean, how do I mean... Well, I think I think the CDC, uh, the CDC and various California health departments have have kind of, you know, looked at where we are as a state and the sort of downgrading in terms of uh, the, uh, the the levels of of uh, of, uh, of danger that we're in are, are good are good indications of, of where we are and where we should be and what we should do as a state. Do you think that the state needs to take any look at how things function moving forward? You know, not for this health emergency, but for the potential next one. And I'm thinking about not just the governor's power, but also, you know, the fact that we have so much power that lies with county health officers. Um, You know, I think you can make the argument on either side that that's been good or bad. But is there anything you want to kind of, once we get out of the crisis mode, reimagine? Absolutely. All all of that. I think all of that. I think this is a great test case. I think it's a great test case for how to deal with emergencies. I think looking at the county health departments and the, the various ways that they, the various counties have, county public health agencies have reacted, reacted to the, to the pandemic. I think all of that uh, definitely needs to be looked at. I will tell you um, with respect to the legislature and the governor, I mean, I'm a member of the national speakers conference. It's a group of, you know, 50 speakers throughout the, the country. And, you know, throughout we have, sort of monthly, I think it's sort of monthly or maybe bi-monthly calls. And throughout the pandemic, there was always this tension between the executive branch and the legislative branch. That's built in, that's intentional. Mm-hmm. And during times of, of, of crisis, um, it, it makes sense that tensions uh, rise. And, and 
to be on those calls throughout the pandemic it made me realize this was something that was happening throughout the country. Um, so yeah, we I think we definitely need to look at how we reacted uh, to uh, to the pandemic, both from a governmental structure perspective, but also from a public health perspective, and hopefully learn lessons from it. You, I think, are in your fifth year as uh, Speaker of the Assembly. And of course, the Assembly's had a lot of different kinds of people as Speaker. Uh, Willie Brown, famously known as the Ayatollah of the Assembly, I think, because of his iron-fisted control on everything that happened there to you, who seem to be a lot more laid back, uh, to the point where, you know, sometimes it seems like you even allow the committee chairs that you appoint to run the show. How would you describe your leadership style? Well, uh, it's very much the way I ran nonprofit organizations. I was an executive director for about 20 years of uh, childcare and gang gang programs. For me- You saying the legislators are like kids? No. (laughs) Um, For me, uh, you said that, not me. Um, (laughs) As an executive, as an administrator, I always felt like my job was to give, uh, uh, was to provide tools uh, that other people, uh, you know, other people would utilize those tools to kind of do their jobs. Uh, For me, in this role, uh, I do that to a large extent with our committee chairs. And I think... You know, I got elected in 2012, uh, and that was the first. That was the first year of the extension of term limits. We've been here for 12 years. To ha- we're going to be here for 12 years. To have someone like Jim Wood, uh, who's a you know a healthcare professional his entire career, to have him as the health chair for 12 years, and to dig in and understand that policy area. To have Jose Medina, uh, who's a community college uh, board uh, member prior to coming to the legislature, to have him as higher education chair for 12 years gives us the ability to to develop a level of expertise that allows uh, that is ultimately more democratic because it means that you know the po- folks with the institutional knowledge are not staff the folks with institutional knowledge are not the uh, lobbyists from the third house it means the members who are democratically elected from their districts are the ones with the power and ultimately that's that's what the kind of legislature that we want to have and you know when i used to teach i used to always tell my classes every state has an executive branch but only leg- only democracies have legislative branches and so i think the most democratic branch of government is the one that should operate most democratically you're listening to political breakdown i'm marisa lagos here with scott schaefer we've been talking with assembly speaker anthony rendon this is a fundraising period for kqed public radio for more information about how to support kqed go to kqed.org so we were just talking about your style and the, just this week in D.C., we saw the third most powerful uh, Republican get ousted from the conference there. I'm just curious, like Kevin McCarthy was a state lawmaker. I don't know that you guys overlapped, but um, he, you know, is dealing with this kind of sort of, the, the you know, the Trump base versus somebody like Cheney. I, I'm just curious, like what you think in your position watching that all play out from afar? Uh, I didn't serve with Kevin. We, we've met a couple of times in, in D.C. and Sacramento. Um, but uh, from from that perspective, I mean, look, we're, we're <laughs> the Democratic Party is a, a big tent uh, party that can be kind of messy ourselves. Um, I you know watch with great interest, and I know that what happens there influences you know policy that if, that has an impact on Californians. Um, but you know, I, I think those those similar similar dynamics play out in our own party. 
What do you know? You know, he's obviously want, hoping to be speaker, you know, and that's maybe within their grasp. And so he's making a calculation to basically, you know, embrace the, the lie that uh, the election was stolen. I mean, is that just the way politics is or is this something different? I think it's, it's clearly something different. I mean, it's you know, early. I was just talking about democracy and this is counter to democracy. Um, what Trump was about, what G- January 6th was about was counter to democracy, lying about um, the stealing of elections, doing what the, the state Senate is doing in, in Arizona in terms of investigating uh, the election is antithetical to democracy. It's totalitarianism. All right. We like to end on a, on a fun note. So um, we know you're a big reader, big into philosophy and music. What are you reading? What are you listening to right now? What's gotten you through this past year? I've read a lot. <laughs> I read, read a lot lately. I just finished um, a couple of books uh, by Rousseau. And what was interesting about Rousseau is near near the end of his career, he marketed himself as a former legislator and said he was willing to go to other countries and be a legislator. So I'm thinking of maybe when I'm done with this. <laughs> Take it on the road. <laughs> just saying, yeah. Heading to France. But ads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell the French. Yeah, I'm, I'm available. I'm available for hire. Uh, I mostly read fiction, though. Uh, I, I love fiction. There's a lot of great young uh, Colombian writers. Uh, they all live in London, but they're all they're all from Colombia, uh, who I like a lot. Um, in terms of music, you might want to know that uh, during the break, I tried to Shazam your theme music. And it didn't come up. Is that an original? Original, original. It's original. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's cool. All right. I so think it was. Know. I think the inspiration was Sly Stone, yeah. as I recall. Oh, was yeah. it really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Very Pat Miller. Pat Miller wrote it. We got to give Pat credit. Yeah. All right. Good, good for Pat Miller. So what did you think as an aficionado? Did, was it? Oh, it was great. No, it's funky. <laughs> it, I, I cared enough to Shazam it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, quick yes, no question. Interested in being mayor of L.A.? Uh, I don't live in the city of Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> That's a non-answer. That's never stopped anybody before. <laughs> I, I, it will be part of my advertisement when I when I turn out. <laughs> All right. Somebody barked in the background. Presumably, it's not in the speaker's office. <laughs> <laughs> That would be my dog. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. It's a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer is Guy Marzorati, who does not like dogs, by the way. Our engineer is Katie McMurrin. KQED's team includes Holly Kern and Ethan Tobin, Lindsay, Vinnie Tong, and Erica Aguilar. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can see what I'm up to on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. And I'm at Mlogos. Thanks for listening, and sorry about my dog, Lola. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. 
Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.